This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Listen, I want your support for the difficult and I think valuable work that we do. But one thing that I don't want to do is, is act like it's some terrible burden for us to do it. We love making these podcasts. We are lucky to have jobs reporting the news and and telling these stories. We're not doing you some kind of a favor here. This is a gift to get to do this work. But yes, it can be it can be hard. And um, I'm not I'm not talking about the labor itself. We work hard. A lot of people work hard. And every kind of hard work has its own challenges. I'm going to talk about ours. We give a shit about what we put out into the world. It, It would be a lot easier if we didn't, if we were not always thinking about how are we representing the people and the issues that are in the stories that we tell. If we were not always looking for like, is there a slightly better way to communicate this and get it across? And it would be easier if we didn't take this work home with us. You know, the the, the mental gears working away in the back of your mind. And then you realize like in the middle of dinner that that there's a tiny little thing that you can change and, there, and there's still time to drop everything and go fix it. Our names are on these shows and on our articles. 
And every time we publish, we put dozens of things onto the record. And if any one of those things is wrong, well, we are putting our credibility, our reputations on the line every time. And that's something that you take on when you work on our stuff. I mean, your name is out there. You are exposed to possible criticism or worse. There are all kinds of liabilities. Now, none of that makes us special. I mean, that's true of anybody who does journalism and, and outside of journalism. I mean, people far more important than us put themselves out there in all kinds of ways. You know, I mean, we're all thinking a lot these days about the emotional labor and the emotional trauma of healthcare workers. Journalists, by comparison, we, we have it easy. But I'm telling you these things to get across not how hard our lives are, but, but, but how much we love to do this. Because, my God, I mean, you have to love it if you accept those terms. And if anything, the problem is that we love it too much. I, I didn't feel this way about my work in media before Canada Land. But this, this setup we have, this arrangement we have with you, with the listener, we have the blessing of your attention to tell you the stories that we choose to tell. And there's just so many stories. There's so many more stories than we could possibly tell. So much is going uncovered and untold right now. It's overwhelming. And it's like never been more clear that the world is so in need of facts of information to be known, and I mean, hopefully of, of some understanding. Journalism is not a burden, it is thrilling. Journalism is one hell of a drug, and, and I can tell you, this team that we have at this particular moment, these people leave nothing on the table. They give you everything. Please hire them to keep at it. We will make you proud. And we have socks. Have you not yet seen the socks? Go to canadaland.com slash join. Do not even think twice about this. This should be the easiest decision you've ever made. Go to canadaland.com slash join and thank you. Well, we're getting sued. It's not by who you think. Haven't heard from those guys yet. Might still. You never know. No, this is from someone else. It's actually the first time it's ever happened. We have been threatened before. Stop asking those questions or we'll sue you. Don't publish that story or we'll sue. Remove the story and apologize for it or we will sue. Some of the wealthiest and most powerful people in this country have threatened us like that. We never met their demands. And none of them ever went through with it. But in late August, I got an email. The subject line read, Ezra to Jesse. And in that email, Ezra Levant, the owner of Rebel News, let me know that he was displeased with what I had said about them in a recent podcast. He said he did not think that my criticisms were true or fair. I had called Rebel Media conmen, grifters, and assholes. There were other things that I said that he took exception to as well. None of what I said was very polite. But in my opinion, it's the truth. Ezra wanted corrections and an apology, and he cautioned me that, quote, maybe this wasn't my hill to die on, fighting him in court. And so what I did next was, uh, instead of issuing the uh, correction and apology that had been demanded, I posted Ezra Levant's email to me on Twitter. And then we got served. Interestingly, the papers handed to me by the process server who visited us here in our newsroom did not say Ezra Levant versus Jesse Brown. And they did not say Rebel Media versus Canada Land. What they say is, Kean Bexty 
versus Canada Land and Jesse Brown. So who is Kean Bexty? And what exactly did I say about him? Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Corey Martin, Deborah Larry, Kristen M. Malcolm, Robin VH, Sarah Ain, Josh Jenner, Jessica McLaughlin, and Ollie. Yo, I'm Ollie. I'm a qualified cannabis worker and a musician, and I live in Calgary, Alberta. The reason I support Canada Land and why you should as well is because without independent media capable of bothering people in power and arming us with the tools to hold them accountable, we are lost. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I'm not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. You called Pierre Trudeau a slut. Yeah. You told the president of Chiquita Banana to go fuck his mother. The vice president. And of the Roma people, you said... Gypsies are not a race. They're a shiftless group of hobos. They rob people blind. So my question for you is, and it's going to sound like a malicious question, but this is a genuine question. Okay. Are you an asshole or do you just play one on TV? Well, I think that I am more real on TV than people who have themselves in private one way and then are in public a different way on TV. I think I'm, I I, I try and be the same. That was Ezra Levant's first and last appearance on Canada Land in January 2015. Putting him on the show, it's not something that I would do today. But my conception of Ezra Levant back then was quite different than it is now. My opinion of his opinions hasn't changed much. I thought they were wrong then. I still think they're wrong now. No, the big difference is, back then, I thought Ezra Levant was harmless. At the time, he was a host on Sun News Network. 
a low-budget attempt to import Fox News-style television to Canada. April 18th, 2011. Canada will have a new voice. Hard news. Straight talk. On your side. Sun News. It's time. It was not. Watch Canada's freedom fighter, Ezra Levant. Today, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that doctors can kill their patients. Ezra's show, The Source reportedly got as few as 5,000 viewers per episode. The lack of interest in Sun News Network seemed to confirm an idea that I liked, that a lot of Canadians like. The idea that we're better than Americans. The idea that all that Fox News stuff, that angry, shouty, divisive stuff, that that stuff doesn't sell here. And maybe because I saw Ezra Levant as a failure, the thought of him did not make me angry or worried. It it made me kind of roll my eyes and even smile. He reminded me of Newman, Seinfeld's jolly nemesis. Mischievous, but basically harmless. Kind of a clown. Sometimes I do put on a costume and do goofy things. I remember the very first, uh, was it Arbor Day or something? Uh, Earth Day, Earth Day. Just for fun, I I chainsawed a a tree, a little bush on the set. (laughs) I underestimated him, and I wasn't alone. When Sun News went under later that year, 2015, and an unemployed Ezra shot a video from his living room announcing that, fine, he would just start his own conservative news site, we laughed. But the joke was on us. What we didn't know was that far-right online media was about to explode in the U.S. and that Ezra was studying it up and down. The Rebel was built in the image of The Blaze, the website launched by former Fox News personality Glenn Beck. Later, Ezra met up with Mike Cernovich, an online conspiracy guy who worked with Alex Jones on his InfoWars site. The Rebel was not a website that Ezra put together in his kitchen using Squarespace. He used a powerful political action platform called NationBuilder that is built to harvest user data. It's made to power petitions, fundraisers, newsletters. It's a toolkit filled with mechanisms to pry from people, not just their email addresses or or a few dollars, but to get their names, their locations, and perhaps most importantly, data on exactly which issues get them angry. Go to handsoffourguns.ca, sign the petition, and I'll send it to Justin Trudeau. We'll send him a message to let him know that we're not going to take it. If you can help us pay for our legal costs today, you can do that at rebeltrial.com. We've spent nearly $50,000 already. Right now, we have 2,550 signatures to give to the principal so that he could drop white privilege lesson plans from the curriculum at this school. Right now, click on over to verifymilo.com and sign our petition. It only takes 30 seconds. What Ezra was building was no ordinary mailing list, and not just a fundraising list. It was a political database that could change the Canadian political landscape. How many Canadians are out there who are unknown to any party, who have never joined their provincial or federal conservatives, but who are incensed that Omer Cotter received a cash settlement, or who are furious about gun control, or who detest Greta Thunberg for her position against fossil fuels? What if you could offer politicians not a list of all of those people, but a database that tells you exactly what gets them angry? Despite the rebel's name and its outsider posture, it was in fact directly connected to mainstream conservative politics 
One founding corporate director of the rebel, Hamish Marshall, was also the campaign manager for the Federal Conservative Party in the 2019 election. The more that we learned about what Ezra was actually building, the less silly I found him. Ezra had a plan, and it worked. He made celebrities of a kind out of Faith Goldie and Lauren Southern, young, blonde conservatives who belied the popular notion of what right-wing extremists look like. These were not angry old men with guns or ex-convicts with face tattoos. These were fun-loving young women who, who seemed to have mainstream appeal. Ezra also platformed Gavin McInnes, the Proud Boys founder, who fancied himself more of a shock jock comedian than a right-wing pundit. Hi folks, I'm literally Hitler. And I'm in the doghouse because a bunch of retarded faggots said that I use offensive language. Hello, my fellow fascists. I thought we'd unbox my um, How to Survive Antifa little kit I put together here. I'm here today because I'm going to be going to a doctor's clinic to see if I can be diagnosed as a man. Um, the rebel rode the same pro-Trump wave as sites like Breitbart and The Daily Caller. And it took advantage of this brief mainstream fascination with figures like Richard Spencer and Milo Yiannopoulos. I mean, if Bill Maher could have Milo on, then why shouldn't the CBC provide a platform for Gavin McInnes? Can you see why the indigenous people were protesting? Can you see why Cornwallis issued a bounty on Micmacs? What does that mean? Cornwallis, after several murders, said, let's issue a bounty. Can you tell me about the Proud Boys, how many members, and what exactly the Proud Boys stand for? The Proud Boys have two uh, requirements. It's a men's club, so you have to be a man, a cis male, and that you think the West is the best. We are Western chauvinists, chauvinists meaning passionate patriots. Within just a couple of years of launching, The Rebel was easily the most successful digital media startup in Canada, rapidly gaining attention from Canada's legacy media and gaining access to Canada's mainstream conservative politicians. Or perhaps it was the other way around. Perhaps it was the politicians who ran after access to the rebel. One of the topics that I know a lot of our audience has been very intrigued in following is the Conservative Party leadership campaign. And I am so honored and so blessed to have one of the candidates, Andrew Scheer, with us right now on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, um, you know, Rebel, Rebel has been doing a lot around the topic about M103. Mm -hmm. That's this so-called anti-Islamophobia, really an anti-free speech. And that is why we made it our business to report on them. Because the legitimacy of the whole Rebel enterprise was predicated on the notion that these people were reasonable and presentable and normal, and that it was the other side that was unhinged and easily triggered. And I mean, how could Gavin McInnes and Faith Goldie be bigots? After all, their boss was a Jew. Everything seemed to rest on this one underlying question. What did these personalities really think? What were their actual beliefs? They insisted again and again that they were not racists, we decided to investigate. And there was plenty to investigate because behind the polished videos you could watch for free on the Rebels' YouTube channel, these Rebel personalities had tons of stuff on other platforms where they showed their true colors. Hours of archived and sometimes paywalled content where the truth often came out. What we found was a video from Gavin McInnes' other web series with Compound Media. It showed a drunken McInnes with Faith Goldie on a rebel-sponsored trip to Israel, talking about what they really think 
about the Jews. We're here in uh, uh, Israel, Israel, where we're supposed to be brainwashed by Kim Jong Ezra Levant, <laughs> and we're the unicorn. The unicorn is supposed. The Jews to, paper is the Jew World Order. He yeah, wants us to unicorn. love the IDF <laughs> and be mad about the Holocaust and all that stuff. Um, and I think it's had the reverse effect. McKinnis said that being in Israel actually made him anti-Semitic. Yeah, yeah. I've actually become more anti-Semitic. Since I've come here. Faith Goldie added that most Jews were, quote, giant Democrat donor losers. Like, I understand, like, abroad, most of the Jews, especially in big cities, are giant Democrat donor losers who don't understand that that, that party stands against their interests, especially when it comes to Israel um, and, and taxing them because, by and large, they're frankly wealthier and smarter than us. That's just like a fact. McKinnis said that people from the Middle East smell bad. And Faith Goldie agreed. I, I'm sorry uh, if this comes across as anti-Muslim, but they reek. And it's warm. Like, you know what? For the next humanitarian <laughs> mission, like instead of like dropping like rice packs and like beans, Actually, just really some, some like, just some deodorant, I think wouldn't be the worst thing ever. The Westerners reek. <laughs> In another Compound Media video, Gavin McInnes called Palestinians stupid Rottweilers. And he added, Muslims are stupid, and the only thing that they respect is violence. Our news editor, Jonathan Goldsby, sat through hours of that stuff, and plenty more. Not so we could lead a campaign to cancel Gavin McInnes or The Rebel, but to strip back their veneer, so that anybody who wanted to know what their big-name personalities really believed before sending them money or voting for them or booking them on national television could easily find that information and use it to make informed decisions. And that's when Ezra first came after us. Here's Jonathan Goldsby, another leftist Jewish journalist activist writing in Canada Land, a website run by another leftist Jewish journalist activist named Jesse Brown. These people are insane. He called me a gross ex-Jew and a self-hating Jew. He said that Jonathan used to write for a newspaper that used Nazi-like imagery. That was how he described Now Magazine, the Toronto Alt Weekly. Some of the people who heard Ezra say those things, they found me on Twitter. And there was no small amount of harassment. I had gas chamber memes sent to me. I mean, it was all just words and pictures. But if you get enough of it, it really does fuck up your day. And personally, there were moments where I wondered if it was worth the trouble. I mean, did I really need that much ugliness in my life? But we kept at it. And then came Charlottesville. At Charlottesville, surrounded by her people, Faith Goldie talked about the rise of white racial consciousness, Richard Spencer's new manifesto, and his interesting ideas about the Jewish question. And then her camera rolled on as a white supremacist murdered an anti-racist protester with his car. Absolute failure of police. An absolute failure. They were here for the whole time in riot gear, and as soon as Antifa starts marching, they decide it's time to stop patrolling. Later, Faith Goldie appeared on the podcast of the Daily Stormer, an explicitly neo-Nazi website. We have a guest that's probably going to surprise everyone that this guest is coming on an alt-right podcast. 
but we are certainly thrilled to have her. Right here we have Faith Goldie of Rebel Media. Thanks for having me on, I'm thrilled. Where she joked with that show's Nazi host about how her Jewish boss, Ezra Levant, loves bacon, but only when it's free. If you ever offer him free um, bacon, it's a real, it's like free bacon, free bacon, anyway. (laughs) Um, uh, We reported on all of that. Others did too. And suddenly, the spell was broken. The truth about who these people really were and what they really believed, well, there was no denying it anymore. And there was no ignoring it anymore. Andrew Scheer, let's begin with your decision earlier this week. You said you will not grant any further interviews to Rebel Media for as long as its editorial direction remains as is. So what is it specifically about the editorial direction that led you to that decision? When it comes to granting exclusive interviews, when it comes to kind of, you know, seeking an outlet where I would talk directly to get my vision out, what my positive message is for Canes, uh, based on what happened on the weekend, I just think that uh, going forward, I'll be looking at other uh, types of outlets that uh, that don't, uh, you know, blur that line or cross that line into giving that okay. kind of legitimacy to, to those kinds of groups. Ezra went into damage control mode. He fired Faith Goldie and he announced that the rebel rejected the alt-right. McKinnis was soon gone, too. Tough week, but we're going to get back to work now. But it was too late. The mainstream's flirtation with the rebel was over. Politicians from every major federal party shunned them. Conservatives wouldn't sit down for interviews anymore. Even at press conferences, politicians refused to answer the rebel's questions. The CBC appearances stopped. And after a while, the rebel kind of receded from Canada Land's coverage. There was little more to say. And to those people who knew what the Rebels' big-name personalities were really about, but still wanted to watch it anyhow, to support the Rebel anyhow, well, it's a free country. And that is why we haven't talked much about Key and Bextie on Canada Land. Until now. Bextie is a relatively new Rebel host from a post-Charlottesville world in which the rebel has gone back to basics. No more young blonde ladies. No more comic monologues from the media-savvy Gavin McInnes. No more trying to break in to the mainstream discourse. No, for Key and Bextie, it's not about getting booked by the mainstream media. For Bextie, the media is the enemy. And Bextie's job, from the start, has not been to charm the mainstream. It's to disrupt it. His job described by Ezra explicitly when Key and Bexty joined the Rebel two years ago, is to make trouble. Well, I am delighted to let you know that we are expanding the team at the Rebel. We are having a new staffer join us, a reporter, troublemaker, and all-around conservative. His name is Key and Bexty, and he joins us now in studio. Key, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're a bit of a troublemaker, aren't you? I get into some trouble. I dabble, I would say. You're a trouble dabbler. Yeah. Yep. And you won't just be doing journalism, you'll be doing the kind of activism that we like to do. The troublemaking part, whether yeah. it's a, a protest or a billboard, that's the kind of stuff you'll be doing, eh? Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to see what, uh, what kind of rabble we can rouse and then and, and, uh, we'll go from there. Bexty is a young Albertan, a former campus conservative. Unlike, say, Gavin McInnes, Bexty does not seem to ever try to entertain his viewers with jokes. He does not seem to ever smile and try to charm them, as Faith Goldie or Lauren Southern did. His videos 
take a more direct approach. Prime Minister, why are Canadians funding research done by the Chinese military? $200,000 in a year, Rachel Notley gave you. Do you feel like you should redistribute that to the proletariat? You're keeping us against our will. Do you understand, Just leave us alone. Do you understand what a democracy why can't, is? Why can't you leave us alone? I mean, you came out, I've been waiting all day. Bexty often confronts his interview targets with hostile accusations, phrased as questions. Here he is last year, following U.S. Congresswoman Ilhan Omer. He asks her again and again if she married her own brother, a baseless allegation that has been thoroughly disproven. Can you tell me definitively, yes or no, is he your brother? And why can't you answer that question? Why did you refer to him as your child's uncle on Instagram? And why did you lie on court documents saying that you hadn't seen him since 2011, when in fact you'd been talking to him all the time on Instagram? Sir, we're not doing ambush interviews. This isn't an ambush. You can send me an email. Why are you so afraid to answer these questions? Now, I don't know why Ilhan Omar is so afraid to answer very simple questions. If I asked you, did you marry your sibling? You know what the answer to that is? No, at least it should be. I don't know why she's not answering these questions. I don't know why she's so scared. It certainly makes her look guilty on a bunch of different counts. Now here's Bexty following teenager Greta Thunberg down the hallway of her hotel when she came to Alberta. He had just asked her dad if it was appropriate of him to be exploiting his child's mental illness. Greta Thunberg explained to Keen Bexty that her autism is not a mental illness. And then they all tried to walk away from him. I'd really appreciate it if you stopped talking to us right now. We have a meeting. Yeah. Um, and this is so you're, business. you're engaging in political discourse in a foreign country as a foreigner. Thank you very much. Will you be... This is also slightly harassing and I do have use contacts if needs be. Bexty is told that he's harassing them and they threaten to call the police. But he carries on. There are lots of clips of Kean Bexty like this. He called Justin Trudeau a dictator and asked him if he had called up the leaders of African countries to apologize for having worn blackface. I bring up that one not because I think that Trudeau was so badly victimized. I mean, he is the prime minister after all, and he did wear blackface. But because it made me wonder, how could a reporter ever expect to get an informative, honest answer from Trudeau to a question in the future after behaving like that? During the Wet'suwet'en standoff, Bexty called one of the hereditary chiefs a wife beater. He confronted the guy in a parking lot and accused him of this. Could you tell me who, how you managed to steal a matriarchal name, Chief Wu's? How'd you steal that name? It was a year ago today. How'd you steal it? The most revealing part of that one to me is at the end, where the chief leaves without answering. And Kean Bexty says, Now that went pretty much exactly as I expected it to go. That went pretty much exactly as I expected it to go. I mean, how did he expect it to go? When you confront unsuspecting people with shocking, hostile accusations, what else can you expect? What I think Bexty expects is for people to get emotional, panicked or or, or mad, or to just try to get away from him. And that is typically what he gets. And then as they are getting away from him, he sometimes asks them one final rhetorical question, which I do not believe he expects to get an answer to. What are you hiding? In my opinion, these are shock tactics. In my opinion, the point is to humiliate his perceived ideological opponents, to take the fight to their faces and film it, and then to put it on the internet for clicks and for donations. Let me give you one last example of his interview style. Here are his questions 
to reporter Emily Leadham. Do you also hate white people? Do your parents know that you're an anti-Semite? Do they? Is it easy to sleep at night knowing that you support someone who wants the entire state of Israel blown off the face of the earth? When she refuses to take the bait and stays silent, he says this. It's okay, I got what I want, thanks. That's okay, I got what I wanted. Does Kian Bextie want answers? I think that sometimes what he wants is to videotape himself owning SJWs right to their faces. He says that he is a journalist and he wants access to the places where journalists work, to press conferences and to legislatures. And when he doesn't get it, when the rebel doesn't get it, they complain and they push back. And that's what got me talking about him. And this is what I said about him on an episode of Shortcuts last August. And this, this is what Kean Bexty claims in his statement of claim is me defaming him. And the rare occasion where he actually gets to ask a question, it's never actually a question. It's just like, you've committed treason. What do you have to say for yourself? And aren't you ashamed? And then I shifted my comments from Kean Bexty to the rebel. I went from talking about he to talking about they. They just disrupt things where other journalists are trying to do their job. Anybody who goes into a legislature and starts screaming stuff gets fucking thrown out the back door. And there's no good faith. There's no reason to let these asshole con men grifters anywhere. But the bottom line is you're not what you say you are. Like you're only interested in the optics of being denied the access. My point was the rebel should not be blocked from press galleries because they don't meet the standards of good journalism. I mean, to do that, somebody has to have the job of setting those standards for everybody and deciding who is and who isn't a journalist. And there's no one that I'm really comfortable handing that job, that power to. My point was, and remains, is that it's not about whether he behaves like a journalist or not. It's how he behaves as a person, that that provides sufficient grounds to deny him access. After all, Kian Bexty has called the Parliamentary Press Gallery incestophiles. He's called for every one of them to be fired. There are basic rules of social conduct that we apply every day to all kinds of scenarios and interactions, and we can just use those to deal with the rebel. That is my opinion. That is my comment. I think it's a fair comment, one that's backed up with examples and reason and facts. It's backed up with truth. And those are the comments that Kean Bexty is demanding I erase. He claims in his court action that I have defamed him by saying or implying that he is not a journalist or not a real journalist, that he disrupts and interferes with press conferences and screams in the legislature, that he makes unfounded accusations such as treason, that he asks politicians and other interview subjects improper questions that aren't real questions, that his disruptive behavior prevents or impedes journalists from doing their jobs, and that he acts in bad faith. And they say that all of that is false. And Kean Bexty, he says that my words have hurt him, that they have lowered him in the estimation of right-thinking members of society, that they have seriously injured him in his credibility, character, and reputation as a journalist. And he wants me to take those words back. He wants me to erase them from the internet. He wants me to post an apology. And he wants me to pay him $150,000 for me to reimburse him for the damages that he says that I have caused to his reputation. I want to be honest with you. I was not looking for this fight. 
I thought that if we agreed on nothing else, Ezra Levant and I, Kean Bexty and I, the Rebel and I, we would at least agree that if they're going to go around using their free expression rights, in the case of Ezra Levant, to use those rights to call this one a slut, tell that one to go fuck his mother, uh, slander an entire ethnicity. Kean Bexty, if he wants to go around calling an indigenous chief a wife beater, call Rosie Barton a disgrace and a hack, call Rachel Notley a witch and a coward, tell her you disgust me. I figured if they claim their rights to say those things, then they would at least accept my right to criticize them for it. But I was wrong about that, because a lot of the critics of the rebel get sued. And in our defense against this lawsuit from Kean Bexty, we argue that what this lawsuit is, is an attempt to stifle us, to get us to stop covering and criticizing Kean Bexty and the rebel. And I don't think that we're alone. The rebel and or Ezra Levant are currently suing the National Observer, Press Progress, the Narwhal slash Smog, Al Jazeera, McLean's columnist Scott Gilmore, critic named Robert Day, who tweeted as Canadian Cynic, and another Twitter critic named Adam Sterling. Just the other week, reporter Justin Ling tweeted out that Ezra Levant was threatening to sue him and Chorus Radio. And those are just the ones that we know about. Ezra Levant has called himself Canada's foremost freedom fighter, a champion for free speech. But I'm not aware of a single Canadian who has filed more lawsuits against journalists, against news organizations and critics. And it seems to have worked. Those voices that got sued by Ezra after criticizing him, they have pretty much stopped criticizing him. And I'll tell you, since we got sued, stories involving the rebel have come across our newsroom and I could not help but tense up a little. You know, people receive a lawsuit and they self-censor out of fear. There's a term for that. It's called libel chill. Well, I'm not going to shut up. We're going to fight. I mean, this is something that I was warned years ago was eventually going to happen. And that when it did happen, I would have to be ready to fight. The guy who warned me about that was Ezra Levant. If you're not bugging someone, you're probably not swinging hard enough. If you're in the news business, now if you're in, in the commentary business, if you're in the weather business, being sued would be weird. If you're in the cooking show business, it would be weird. But I, I have to say, Jesse, yeah. it will not surprise me if in the next 12 months you are sued in defamation. It would not I surprise know, me. I know. Because you are pushing. Yeah. And believe it or not, once in a while you're going to get it wrong. And opinions aren't wrong. They're either reasonable or unreasonable, but you're going to get someone mad enough. People in, in Canadian journalism don't believe in free speech other than when they're talking about themselves. People in Canadian journalism don't believe in free speech except when they're talking about themselves. That one he got right. You might find it interesting, I know that I did, that it was not Ezra Levant who sued us. After all, I made it very clear he was the one I was calling a grifter and a con man. But suing us for that would likely mean that I would have the opportunity to prove in court that he is those things. He would have to surrender documents and internal records from the rebel that nobody has ever seen before. And then he'd have to win. And Ezra has lost. He's won cases as well. But he has sued people for libel and lost. And he has been sued for libel and lost. Two different Ontario Superior Court justices have said the same thing about Ezra Levant. 
that he has a reckless disregard for the truth. So instead, it's Key and Bexty versus Canada Land. Bexty is arguing that my words have diminished his reputation and credibility, that they will lead listeners to believe that he is unprofessional and disruptive, and not a real journalist. Defending myself and this company may mean proving, before the law, that Key and Bexty has no reputation or credibility to lose. We will bring evidence about Kean's conduct at press events. We will bring evidence about his lack of professionalism. I think that that will be pretty easy to do. But what do I know? I mean, I'm, I'm used to making my arguments in the public discourse, not in a court of law. What I can tell you is that while this is not a fight that we were looking for, it's one that I won't shy away from either. Because it's clear to me what I'm fighting for. It's right there in the lawsuit against us. Demand number two of five. Bexty demands that Canada Land promises to never say those things or similar things about him ever again. These champions of free speech want to shut us up. So yeah, we're going to fight back. I'll tell you how it goes. That is your Canada Land episode, a special message from the publisher edition. If you want to support the work that we do, Go to canadaland.com slash join. We've got all kinds of good stuff for you. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. That's where you can sign up for our newsletter if you are so inclined. It's a good one. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.